Thank you for being here this morning. If this is your first morning back or first time back or, or first time here, or maybe you're watching with us online, um, we've been reading through the book of 1 John. Um, today, we're gonna be in 1 John chapter four. Um, and so we would ask you again, you know, we've been challenging to read along with us as we bring the message every week from where we're reading from. So this upcoming week, we'll be in chapter five and we'll get ready um, to close out the book of first John. The month of October, I'm excited about. Um, we're gonna take um, kind of a, I'm not gonna say a break, but a different direction. And for the first four weeks, or for the first four weeks of October, I don't think there's many more than that. Um, that was, yes, y'all see what I have to deal with. But we're going to be basically unpacking who God has called us to be here at Chestnut Mountain. We're going to be looking at all four pillars and looking at all of our values, um, but completely based off the word of God. And we're going to do that in the month of October um, so that it'll kind of remind us all and give you a clear direction of where we're headed as a church family. Um, but let's jump, jump into 1 John chapter 4. The word Fear. Fear, it's a four-letter word that is very, very small, but it's also a very small word that has a very enormous impact. When we look at the definition of fear, it is an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that something is dangerous and it's likely to cause pain. The word fear ends up, if you keep tracing it back, comes from the Greek word phobos, which is where we get the word phobia, which means an exaggerated, usually inexplicable and illogical fear of a particular object or a situation. You'll hear of one of my phobias in just a little while. And if you know me, you know what that is. And it may just happen to be some creepy crawly thing that has no legs and that crawls around on the ground. But I think we can all agree, if we were to really, really get honest, we could honestly say that fear, the very things that we fear, are paralyzing. Fear is absolutely paralyzing. You know, last week as we called the church, we called you to respond. Um, remember, we talked about dying to your wants to meet somebody else's need. And we, and we placed it out there to give you an opportunity to figure out where God would have you serve in what he's doing here at Chestnut Mountain Church. And the way that you responded, what was signified is you took a card and the seat in front of you and you, you filled it out and you prayed about it and the Lord laid on your heart exactly where he wanted you to be serving and many of you came and placed those in the altar. But I tell you what was so encouraging and so humbling all at the same time was I stood right here and I watched many of you come to the altar, some with tears in your eyes and some begrudgingly letting go of that card. Because as you approached, you knew that in that moment you were gonna to lay it at Jesus' feet and say, God, here's what you have given me and God, here's what I'm going to let go of today so that I can be on mission with what it is that you've called me to do. But what I noticed in so many of your eyes was I saw fear. I saw uncertainty. I saw emotions that, because look, when we step out on faith, when we step out in the direction that God has called us, it is scary. It is scary. And the reason that it is scary is because we, as human beings, newsflash, we love control. 
We love to want to know how things are going to turn out. We want to know how the thing is going to play out before, before we jump in. And so many times when we don't know how it's going to turn out, when we don't know what the outcome is going to look like, what we have tendency to do is we create in our mind an outcome that we think will happen. And so what happens is we create this outcome in our mind. You guessed it. Guess what sets in? Fear. Because believe it or not, we as fleshly human beings, we tend to lean towards the negative side. We tend to lean towards things aren't gonna turn out the way we plan. Things aren't gonna turn out very good. And so therefore, you know what? I'm gonna let that fear paralyze me. And because I'm fearful, because I can't see the outcome, because I don't know what's coming, it's just gonna be easier for me to do nothing because then I don't have to face the unknown. But you know, we see all throughout scriptures where this very scenario played out. I want you to flip with me to, to, to Numbers. It's gonna take us a little while to get to 1 John chapter four, but that's okay. I want you to flip with me to Numbers chapter 13. And this is just a prime example of what we're talking about and how we can create in our own minds particular outcomes. And because when we do that, it births fear. So look with me in verse one of chapter 13. And this is where God is speaking through Moses to the children of Israel. And he says, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send out for yourself men so that they may spy out the land of Canaan, which I am going to give the sons of Israel. He didn't say if they go spy out, depending on how it looks, depending on what is, is taking up the land of Canaan, there's a chance that I might give them the land. No, he says, I want them to go spy out the land in which I am going to give them. So here we see the promise of God. He's already told us the outcome. He's already told us how it's going to turn out. But now I want you to look over one column. It is in my Bible on page 119, verse 27. After the spies returned, they did what Moses told them to do. They went over into the land of Canaan. And in verse 27, it says, thus they told him, meaning they told Moses, thus they told him, we went into the land where you sent us. And it certainly does flow with milk and honey. And this is its fruits. They even had it in their hand. They said, look, it is all that God has promised it to be. It is beautiful. Verse 28, nevertheless, or but the people who live in that land are strong and the cities are fortified and they're very large. You see what happens here, what has happened to the children of Israel is they've taken a, a survey of their circumstances. They've looked at the situation in which God is calling them to walk into and because of the uncertainty, they look at how large the, the, the obstacle is. And so what they begin to do now is they begin to create in their own mind what the outcome is going to be. They look at the cities, they're fortified. They look at the armies, they're big. And what happens is that we allow, allow our circumstances to cause us to forget about the promises of God. He's already promised them. He says, look, here's your land. I am going to give it to you. And so they let the 
the, the, the size, scale of this obstacle cloud out what God had already promised him. Think about even Peter. This is a story that we like to talk about all the time when it comes to faith. In Matthew chapter 14, where, where Jesus calls Peter to walk on the water. You know, we know that it was a wrestling match for Peter. He knew that he heard Jesus. He heard what Jesus was calling him to do, but he hesitated in that because he didn't know how it was gonna turn out. Hello, the son of God just promised you to step onto the water. I don't think God is gonna call us to do anything that is gonna allow us to sink. And so in that moment, as Peter began to, to very begrudgingly step out onto the water, instead of keeping his focus on the Savior, instead of remembering what Jesus has just called him to do, what he began to do is look at all the circumstances around him. He felt the wind, he saw the waves, he felt the rain. And so all of a sudden we're led to believe, then why in the world was he scared? Because I believe with everything in me, he created an outcome in his mind. Peter is thinking, you know what? I hear Jesus. I know this is what Jesus is asking me to do. But man, has he seen the size of these raindrops? Has he felt the speed of this wind? Does he have any idea what he's doing? Because the way I think about it, this isn't gonna end well. And so we see that because Peter focused on everything that was going on around him, he had the tendency to forget about what Jesus was calling him to do. And so I would ask you this question because I've had to ask myself this question all week. How often does our fear keep us from the promised land? How often does our fear keep us from the promised land? How many things has God called us to do? How many doors has God opened us for us? But because of the unknown, because we don't know how the circumstances are going to turn out, that fear overwhelms us and we are paralyzed. And so therefore we do nothing. I think back on so many things in my life that I've missed out on because fear paralyzed me. You know, I think about as a parent, once you have children or grandchildren or whatever, you'll realize that you have to relate everything to being a parent because it absolutely conquers your life. But I think about the visual that I have here of, of being a parent and being a father. I, I remember with all four of our kids trying to teach them how to swim, but we know that it, we didn't necessarily teach them how to swim to begin with. First, we had to get them used to the water. And I remember specifically, even with Deacon, you know, as a dad, as a father, I'm not gonna walk up to the diving board and hold on to her and just go. <laughs> Although it would be very entertaining for a minute. Or I'm not even gonna grab a hold of her and dive into the water holding her off the deep end. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna ease her into this. I'm gonna walk down into the water with my daughter and I'm gonna begin to show her the elements. I'm gonna begin to allow her to fill the water. I'm gonna begin to get her comfortable with her environment, with her surroundings. But we all know the rebellious spirit that we all have. Once we get comfortable, once we get used to something, guess what we tend to do? I think I can do this on my own. I think I've got this. And so because of that rebellious nature, because of that pride, we tend to push ourselves away from the Father. 
And we begin to say, you know what? I've got this on my own. And the second we let go of the father, the second we begin to journey away from the father, that's when the panic sets in. Because in our minds, this is not going to end well. But as a loving father, what is my response? Of course, as soon as I see my daughter struggle, as soon as I see her begin to go under the water, as soon as her eyes make contact with daddy, I reach and I pull her out. And I put her right back into the father's arms. But here's what the Lord has shown me throughout this week. If I were to ask you, what was Deacon scared of in the swimming pool? Probably the majority of you would say, well, she's obviously she's scared of the water. No, she's not scared of the water. Because the reality is I'm holding her in my arms. Guess where we still are? We're still in the water. We're still standing in the water. The easy thing for me to do would be to remove her from the water, sit her on the edge, take her out of what in my mind was causing fear. So what I'm led to believe that even in the mind of a two-year-old, the reason she started panicking is because she created this own outcome. Even as a two-year-old, she said, you know what, I, I don't know how to swim. I can't keep myself up. And so when she knew nothing else to do, she turned and guess what? She looked back to the father. She looked back to me. And so what we realize is we find out that she's not really scared of the water, but what she's scared of is this manufactured outcome that is playing out in her mind. The water's still there. I want you to listen to this. The water is still there, but the closeness to the Father changes everything. The water's still there, but the closeness to the Father is what changes everything. So the closer we are to the Father, by His nature, by His Spirit, the less fearful we as the body of believers are. And so what we're going to talk about today is conquering fear. But here's the one thing that I want, you to, I want you to write down. I want you to remember this. You're going to hear it again in just a little while. We're going to tell you how to conquer fear. And here it is. You ready? The way to conquer fear is not becoming more familiar with what causes the fear but becoming more familiar with the one who cast out fear. The way to conquer fear is not becoming more familiar with what causes the fear, but becoming more familiar with the one who cast out the fear. Now for 1 John chapter four. And look, God, I know always kind of does things backwards in my mind and so we're actually gonna start in the end of chapter four and we're gonna end at the beginning of chapter four. I don't know. I hope it makes sense to you because it does to me. I want you to look at verse 18 in chapter four. John writes here, he says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. And the, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. So before we really look at this idea of 
there is no fear in love, we first have to set the context of chapter four. What John is reminding these believers of is the very thing that we need to be reminded of today is all around us, there is a spiritual war that is going on. There is a spiritual war that is going on. Look in verses one through three of chapter four. Here's where he tells them of this spiritual war that we need to be made aware of. Verses one through three, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone on in, out into the world and by this, you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you have heard what is coming and now is already in the world. Now, I realize that when we talk about spiritual war, when we talk about this spiritual war that is waging, it is very hard to talk about the spiritual realm because we can't see it. And so it's something that we have a, a difficult, difficult time communicating. So I wanna basically summarize the war that's going on right now in the context of chapter four. Remember, he's a, he, he says here, beloved, so we know that he's talking to these believers. So what we are led to believe that the Holy Spirit has revealed to these believers that Jesus Christ is the savior of the world. The Holy Spirit has revealed to this group of people that Jesus Christ came to sacrifice himself for the, for the repentance and the sin that needs to be taken away from you. And so by them placing their faith, not in their works, by them placing their faith, not in anything that they can do, but the Holy Spirit has revealed truth to them and they have placed their faith in Jesus Christ and now have eternity set in the finished work of what he has done. So you have the element of what the Holy Spirit has been teaching, what the Holy Spirit has been showing them. But then on the flip side, it says that the spirit of the Antichrist is also at work. And so to sum it up the best way that I know how, the spirit of the Antichrist is teaching anything and everything but Jesus. Anything that doesn't line up with the teachings of God's word is of the spirit of the Antichrist. So anything that opposes the word of God is of the Antichrist. It is of evil. And that's who these false prophets are. That's what they're teaching. But you know, the, the challenge in this, what John is challenging these believers to do, he's saying, look, as a follower of Jesus Christ, what you must do at this point is you've got to learn to discern the difference between the truth and a lie. You've got to learn to discern the difference of the teachings of God versus the teachings of the Antichrist. Now look, church, I know that we as a country have got some big decisions that are coming. And can I tell you that every decision that we make in the coming months, it must be based off the truth of God's word. If it doesn't line up with the truth of God's word, then church, we can't stand for it. And so what we've got to do as a church is learn to discern the difference of what is good and what is evil. 
And so when we get ready to make decisions, we can't take bits and pieces of everything that we want to make us feel good. What we've got to do is base it off the truth of God's word. This is what we as the church have got to stand on. And we've got to learn to discern the difference. We've got to learn to discern the difference between the Holy Spirit and the spirit of the Antichrist or the spirit of the evil. Because what's going on right now with these new believers or not necessarily new believers, but the more they listen to these false teachers, the more they listen to the, to the teachings of the, of, of, of the, of the Antichrist, the more confused they get, which results in them becoming more fearful. Now, the context of what John is talking here, and I said it a moment ago, what they're becoming fearful of is the judgment. These believers in 1 John chapter four, because of the teachings of the false teachers, because of the teachings of the Antichrist, now they begin to listen. They're having a trouble discerning between the Holy Spirit and the teachings of the Antichrist. So they continue to listen to the teachings of the Antichrist and it's making them fearful of the judgment. And the judgment that they are talking about is the day that we stand before an almighty God and we are judged based on our sin or based on the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 9, 27 tells us that, that it's appointed unto men once to die and then after this, they will face the judgment. So here's a statistic that is absolutely mind-blowing. 10 out of 10 people die. Unless Jesus decides to call us home, we all gonna die physically here on this earth. And so according to Hebrews 9, 27, this appointed unto men wants to die, but then after this, life is just not over. We don't just vaporize, we don't just disappear, we don't just go in the ground, but what we do, it says that we then will face the judgment. Now I know that judgment is not fun to talk about, because it does, if we're not certain of our salvation, if we're not certain of the finished work on the cross, who in the world wouldn't fear the judgment? But you know, the judgment that, that we're reading about here, it, it ends one of two ways. There is no middle ground. The question is, is will you be judged based on your own sin and if you're gonna be judged based on your own sin, church, let me go ahead and tell you right now, there's nothing you can do to cover it up. You can't be good enough. You can't give enough stuff away. You can't come to church enough. You can't read your Bible enough. You can't give, you can't give enough. Because the truth is, is the only way that our sin will ever be covered, the only way that our sin will, will ever be wiped away is then when we place our full faith in the finished work of what Jesus Christ has already done. But if we have not done that, here's the scary part, and I know that this may offend, but it's the truth of God's word. 
If you died of fellowship with God, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ at judgment day, you will hear depart from me for I never knew you and you will be eternally sent to a place called hell. Now, I know that that's not something that's tickling to the ears, but I love you enough. I don't really care about tickling your ears. I don't want you to be at judgment day and say, God, but I did this, but I did that. And he says, depart from me for I never knew you. You never placed your faith in the finished work of what my son did on the cross of Calvary. So will you be based off, will you be judged based off of your own sin? Or will you be based, or will your judgment be based off the finished work of what Jesus Christ has already done on your behalf and on my behalf? I want you to flip to Romans chapter eight, verse one. And this kind of gets down to the nuts and bolts of what John is telling these believers that they don't have to fear. But in Romans chapter eight, verse one, this is why we don't have to face judgment. Romans chapter eight, verse one, it says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who get their act together, who stop sinning, There's no condemnation for those who don't fear anymore. No, it says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The only way that we won't experience condemnation, the only way that we won't experience God's wrath at judgment day is through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. And by understanding that, we are placing our faith that Jesus Christ has already faced the judgment for us, that he has already received the punishment that was yours. He's already received the punishment that was mine. So the question is, have you placed your faith in that finished work? And if you have placed your faith in that finished work, we don't have to fear We don't have to fear the judgment because the judgment has already been done. Look at verse 35. And man, we could stop right there with verse one and be done with Romans and say, man, what a celebratory thing that because of Christ, there is no condemnation for me because I am in Christ Jesus. I have placed my faith in him. But as if that's not enough, let's look at verse 35 in the same chapter. Verse 35, we read right here. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Look at verse 37. But in all of these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, not height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The reason we don't fear 
as a follower of Jesus Christ is there is nothing that this world can do to reverse the finished work on the cross. There's no circumstances that we walk through. There's no situations that we will have to deal with. There's nothing that we will face on this side of heaven that can take us away from the love of God. So if we don't have to fear hell, if we don't have to fear judgment day, then church, what in the world do we have to fear? If we don't have to fear something that is eternal, something that is everlasting, if we don't have to fear that, then why in the world do we walk around on this world, on this side, fearing every little bitty thing that the world throws at us? It's kind of like my phobia with snakes. I can't stand them. I'd rather flip over a rock and a bear be looking at me than I had a snake. And then, of course, you know, I'm surrounded by a bunch of encouragers. So I walk out in the lobby after the first service and somebody, of course, showed me a video of a rattlesnake that they just saw the other day on the side of the road. I said, thank you for that. <laughs> but what if somehow, some way, and, and I'm not gonna try to tie something spiritual into this mindset, but let's just say that somehow I got over my phobia of snakes. And let's just say that I had the ability now to to stand in the presence of what I would consider one of the scariest animals in the world. And let's just say that I'm sitting here eye to eye with a, a python or a, an anaconda. Pretty big sucker, right? But what if I get to the point where I can stare that big old sucker right in the eyes and go, you know what? You ain't got no effect on me. I'm not scared of this big old thing. I used to be, but I'm not scared of this big old thing anymore. And now what if on the flip side of that, I look right over here and here's a little six inch garter snake. If I'm not scared of this, how in the world can I be scared of this? So in the context of what we're talking about, something as enormous as eternity, something as enormous as hell, as a follower of Jesus Christ, if we don't have to fear that, how in the world can we fear anything minute that this world throws at us? Because the truth is, is our country, we are paralyzed by fear. Because again, We've created in our mind what the outcome is going to be. And because we don't know the outcome, what do we do? We do nothing. We sit. We're paralyzed. And we live in fear. Have you thought about it this way, that there's people who every single day who are dying and going to hell. There's a lost world that don't have time for us to be fearful. There's a lost world that don't have time for us to be paralyzed. There's a lost world who is dying for us to tell them of this everlasting hope and this truth that we as the church understand and that we comprehend that we have. But a blood-bought child of God, we don't have to fear the scariest thing of all, and that's 
an eternal separation from the one who created us, the one that gave his own son to die on the cross so that you could be reconciled back to him. So therefore, we shouldn't fear anything that this world throws at us. However, the spirit of the Antichrist wants us to live in fear. The spirit of the Antichrist wants us to forget the promises of God. He wants us to forget our security. He wants us to forget our hope. Because he wants us to live in fear because he knows that when we are walking in fear, we do nothing. So we gotta ask the question, so what do we do when we fear? Look, I'd be lying to you if I said that I live my whole life fearless. I'm fearful of things every single day. And so the way that I have to overcome my fear is, is a day-to-day battle. But what we must do when we are consumed by fear, when we are overwhelmed by fear, the first thing that we must do is recognize what fear is not. Second Timothy 1.7, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity or fear, but of power and of love and discipline. So when you as a believer are overcome by fear, when I am overcome by fear, the first thing that I must recognize is this spirit of fear that I am feeling, it is not of God. Because in his word right here, we hear the promise. He didn't give us this spirit. He didn't give us fear. So anytime we are fearful, we must first recognize it that it is the work of the enemy. The enemy is wanting to paralyze us. The enemy is wanting us to stop the mission of God. So Brian, what do I do when I fear? Okay, I recognize it. It's not God. But what in the world do I do? Here's what you do. You conquer fear by not becoming more familiar with what you fear, but becoming more familiar with the one who conquers fear. We can't forget that, church. We cannot forget the fact that in order to overcome our fears is not become more educated of the very thing that scares us, but become more familiar and educated on the one who has already defeated anything that we have to fear. Remember, the closeness to the Father is what determines our level of fear. You know, how many times do we or maybe I'll say me, find myself potentially praying for the wrong things. You say, well, what do you mean? How many times when we know that there's something in our life that causes fear, what, what, is our, what is our gut instinct to pray for? God, take it away. God, remove it. God, my life would be much easier. God, I would, I would trust you more. I love how we bargain with God. God, I'll trust you more if you'll just remove this element, this thing that I'm scared of. 
It's kind of the way I feel about snakes. See, the way I look at it, if I was Adam, we wouldn't even be in the shape we're in. I'd have killed that sucker the second I saw him. He wouldn't have had no, he wouldn't have had opportunity to tempt my wife or me. He'd have been dead. But when we think about how oftentimes do we pray, God, remove the very thing that I'm fearful of. Could it be that instead of him removing the thing that you're fearful of, what he's wanting you to do instead of focusing on the fear. Because look, I've spent a lot of times in prayer saying, God, remove this, take this away, take this away. But instead, what if my heart were turned to the Father and I said, God, I want my focus to be on you because the bigger you come, become the less and the smaller this fear becomes. It's still there. It still surrounds me. But what I learn in the midst of this difficult time, what I learn in the midst of this thing that I'm very fearful of is it gives my father an opportunity to be my strength, to show his power and to show how he is my refuge. So what if we changed our prayer life up a little bit and what if we began to pray, God, instead of removing the very thing that makes me fearful, God, even in the midst of the thing that I'm fearful of, God, show your power. Allow me to walk with boldness. Allow me to to be able to look at the very thing in my life that I'm scared of. And let me look at it right in the eyes and not be overwhelmed with fear. Kind of like the swimming pool. You know, when I hold Deacon in my arms, now she ain't scared of anything anymore. But used to when I would hold her in my arms, you know, the easy way out would be what I mentioned a moment ago. Say, you know what? This this water's causing her to be scared. This this water's causing her to be fearful. And so the easy way out is let's just remove her. Let's just sit her on the edge of the pool. Let's remove the element that's causing the fear in her life. Yeah, that that would be much easier, but what has she learned? Number one, she hadn't learned to swim. And number two, she hasn't learned that there's refuge in the Father's arms. Because remember, what we said just a moment ago, the closeness to the Father helps us face our fears. The closeness to the Father is His opportunity to prove His faithfulness and to prove His strength and to prove His power. You know, and maybe it's time we realize and stop praying, God, give me the power to overcome this and just remind us that he is our power. He is our strength. He is our fortress. You know, so I don't know what you're 
drowning in this morning. I don't know what fear has paralyzed you. But I know you well enough to know that there is things that have paralyzed you. And the reason that I know that is because it's done it to me. You know, back in March when we closed the doors of the church, I'd be lying if I told you that I wasn't fearful of what was gonna happen. Because you know why? I couldn't see what the outcome was gonna be. And so because I'm a fleshly human being, guess what I began to do? I begin to create my own outcomes. I begin to think about, okay, what's coming for the church? And my wife will tell you that I'm, you're about to hear a whole cold hard fact about me. I tend to always think the cup's half empty. Maybe it's the influence of country music in my life. <laughs> so all the scenarios that I played out, guess what? It didn't end so well. And so I laid awake at night thinking, God, will we ever be back together? I remember when the worship team released the, the video of the blessing. I remember riding down the road that day and just weeping because I thought, you know what? Will we ever get to be together again? And then I began to wonder, I said, you know what? God, there ain't no church. I guess I'm gonna have to find some more yards to cut. But you know, all of those outcomes that I played out in my mind created fear. Now look, the easy way is for God to snap his finger and COVID-19 COVID be no more. And I think we all want that, right? Praise God. But the truth is, is he's not seen fit to do that yet. I know he can. So me playing out all these scenarios in my mind and in my heart, it brought no peace. It brought no comfort. It caused anxiety. It called fear. But until I finally got to the place and I said, you know what, God? Instead of you fixing all this right now, God, I'm gonna lay this at your feet and I'm gonna trust you with the process. I'm gonna trust you with the process. And can I tell you, church, the moment I surrendered that, the moment I said, God, look, it's your church, it's your bride, you love them more than I do, and I'm trusting that you're not gonna let the doors close. Can I tell you, that's when I begin to experience peace. I finally got to the place I told the Lord, God, I said, I'm gonna teach and preach the truth if there's five people or if there's 5,000 people. And now let me just tell you how good God is. You do realize we baptized seven people today. I can't remember a Sunday where we've baptized seven people. 
Our adults, Wednesday night, we were right out here in the lobby praying for our students as we open students back up. My wife sends me a text and she goes, it is packed over here. You tell me how a God multiplies a ministry when the doors aren't even open. We've got membership class next Sunday. In my three years of being here, guess what? The largest membership class that we've ever had here at Chestnut Mountain Church. How in the world can God multiply and do what God does in the midst of chaos? You know what? I've given up on trying to understand him. I'm just trusting him. And church, it is exciting. But you know, the, to wrap it up, um, this is kind of my competitive side, I guess. But when you think about that child swimming away and they become fearful, they become panicked. Then all of a sudden their eyes turn back to me and I reach and I grab Deacon and you'll know what I'm talking about. I hold her in my arms. The water's still surrounding her. But as a dad, you know what I begin to teach and I begin to show her? I begin to slap at the water. I begin to say, look, dog, look, baby, it ain't hurting you. Look, baby, you're in my arms. This water has no impact on you. This water has no effect on you. We're still in it, but it can't touch you, not because you figured it out, but because you're in my arms. Some of you need to be reminded this morning, if you will run back to the Father's arms, He's gonna hold you safe in His arms and He's gonna say, look, that addiction has no hold on you. That depression has no hold on you. Coronavirus has no hold on you because guess what? I have overcome it all. In church, when we can be reminded that our Jesus, that our God has that much power, then we will walk out of here absolutely fearless. Not because we understand it, not because we're some superhero, but because we're simply in the Father's arms. And to a lost world, that sounds weak. Call me a sissy. Call me a sissy. But you know, when we, when we make it to the Father's arms and somebody here in this morning, I'm gonna tell you right now, you need to run back to the Father's arms. And I just picture when we're in his arms and how many times as a father do we whisper those promises to our children? Daddy ain't gonna let it hurt you. First John 4, 4. You are from God. You are from God, little children. And you have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. That's why we don't fear. Because the one that has conquered death, hell, and the grave lives in you and lives in me. And if we don't have to walk in the fear of the judgment, then what in the world do we have to fear? 
And so this morning, I, you know, I look and there's more cards that people have surrendered this morning. My question would be if some of you were paralyzed last week, you know that the Holy Spirit was leading you to do something, but you begin to play out all those outcomes. God, you want me to serve in students? They'll think I'm so out of date. I, I, I don't know the Bible enough to be able to teach students. God, you want me to serve in preschool? God, I don't even like babies. Because in your mind, you played out the outcome. And you said, you know what? This ain't gonna end well. This isn't gonna go well. So therefore, because I can't see it, I'm gonna stay put. But I wonder this morning if you've wrestled with it all week or, or maybe today's the first day you've wrestled or maybe this is, you've been praying and God has now revealed to you what he wants you to do. There's still a bunch of cards in those seats in front of you. I would encourage you, fill that card out, put on there what area of ministry that you wanna serve in and you'll be contacted tomorrow. Look, I know you, a lot of you probably got emails on Monday because you probably thought this is gonna be like anything else. I'm gonna go fill out some card and put it up here. They're gonna forget about it. Nobody's gonna contact me, but boy, I've done what I've done. The church didn't do what they're supposed to do. So you saw that email last week and you thought, oh man. But what have you got that God wants to use? What time, what talent or what treasure? does God want you to let go of? When will you die to your wants to fulfill someone else's need? But maybe this morning when we talk about the judgment, maybe that scares you to death because you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Can I tell you today, if you surrender your heart and your life to him, if the Holy Spirit is drawing you to himself today and you wave that white flag today, can I tell you, you can walk out of here and never fear the judgment ever again because of the finished work on the cross because he said, it is finished. It's finished. And so I invite you to surrender your heart and your life to Christ and place your faith in the finished work of the cross today. But if you would, I want you to stand to your feet this morning. And What does God want you to lay down? What does God want you to surrender today? God, I pray that right now that we would simply focus on the one who cast out fear. God, allow us to capture our thoughts. God, don't let us go there. But God, as you call us to step out on the water today, Lord, I pray that our eyes would be on you and we would hear your promise. So God, have your way in this room right now. In Jesus' name, amen.